Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, we have a great show for you today. Today on the show, Alicia Bricholi is back. She's already been here and it's because I love her so very much. Well, Alicia's here to tell us her encounter story with Jesus and Alicia's story is a little bit different than some of our others. She grew up atheist, uh, kind of indifferent to faith actually. You're gonna really, really love her story and how Jesus chased after her and how she's given her life to him. It's beautiful, beautiful. If you've missed any of these episodes, Go back and listen. Last week on the show, Tony Collier was on sharing her story. Highly recommend checking it out. My hope for these shows is truly uh, to remind us as followers of Jesus of how God is coming after his people, that he is looking for you. He is chasing you down. And my big hope, if you're listening and you don't know about this Jesus thing and you don't know about the God stuff, is that you would be able to see how God has transformed people's lives. And maybe you'd ask more questions. Maybe you'd lean in a little closer. Again, I say this a lot during the Encounter series. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, if you don't have a copy of the Bible that's yours and you live here in the U.S., we'd love to mail you a copy. Send us an email, jamie at jamieivy.com, and we would love to gift that to you. Friends, last week before the show, I told you about the trip that we're taking to Israel in 2024 of June. So if you didn't hear all about that, go back and listen. But today I want to tell you about something else. There's something in my life that I love that I used to be able to do. I used to host a book club. It's one of my most favorite things that I did in my life would host a book club and we would gather, me and my girlfriends, we'd read a book and we'd gather to talk about it. Well, two particular times that we hosted the book club, we actually had the authors, I think we used Skype at the time, we had them Skype in and we got to ask them questions. It was so fun to get behind the scenes and ask them the questions you've always wanted to ask. Well, we've started that at the happy hour. So it's with our Patreon page. It's a membership site and I would love for you to check it out. Go to patreon.com slash the happy hour. If you forget it, it's in our newsletter. You're probably going to get it in your email today. Go to patreon.com slash happy hour and look at our book club. In fact, last month on the book club, Benjamin Watson joined us and we got to ask him questions. We did a live conversation with him earlier this month. And right now we're in the middle of reading Russell Moore's new book. It doesn't even come out until August, you guys. That honestly is something that sets the book club apart is that my goal is to get us to read books that have not yet released. You get an early release, guys. So this month, we're reading a a new book from Dr. Russell Moore. He's a friend of the show. He's been here before. It's called Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. I know, sounds like a heavy read, but I love Dr. Moore and really respect him. And we get to have a conversation with him about this book. It doesn't even come out until the end of this month. And so it's never too late to join. Go to patreon.com slash the happy hour. You can join. You're going to get a copy of the book early. You can read it as a PDF. And then we get to have a conversation with Dr. Moore and we're gonna get more fun stuff as well along the way. So we'd love to have you join our book club. Hey friends, before we get to our encounter story today, I wanted to take a moment to share the story of another life changed through the gospel by the intentional generosity of a listener just like you. I've been telling you about these stories all summer long and none of them are getting old to me. I'm so excited. Today, I wanna tell you about Janie. 100 kilometers off the coast of West Timor, Indonesia, lies stunning Rote Island. Puffs of clouds through a turquoise sky and the sunset puts on a pink and saffron nightly show. Yet the remote beauty and peaceful lifestyle come at a cost. 
Poverty makes life a daily struggle for survival for many. It is a daily challenge for Mexi and Irma to put food on the table for their two young girls, Janie, who's nine, and Julinda, who's seven. Irma says, if Mexi comes home without any fish, this weighs heavily on my mind. Has he been able to catch enough to pay our bills? I have taught the girls since they were little, if there is no fish, then we just eat rice. Each day, Irma drags hundreds of pounds of cement mixture along in a cart. She is one of just a handful of women who join the male brickmakers. It's backbreaking work for little reward, but she is desperate to help support her family. Outside, Mexki tinkers with his boat's engine, frustration written across his face. He says, because the engine is unreliable, I can't travel to the best fishing grounds. If I could travel further, I could get more fish. I just need to work harder to be able to provide more. The family's challenges have not gone unnoticed. In May of 2019, 11 church-based compassion centers officially opened on the island, welcoming 1,600 children into the child sponsorship program. Janie is one of them. Emma hopes the program will give her daughter a different future. Janie already has big dreams. I want to be a doctor because I want to help others. Here in my village, we don't have a doctor, she says. At the Compassion Center, my tutor teaches me so I can be smart. I know that to be a doctor, I must be smart, and my tutor helps me to reach my dream. Knowing the uncertainty of the family's food security situation, Compassion's church partner also covered the costs of repairing Mesky's faulty boat motor. Now he can travel to the best fishing spots. For this family, hope is powerful. The children in Rote need to be given the same opportunity as kids everywhere, says Pastor Fendi, because our Rote children are precious too. I do believe that all children are precious, and my family and I have been sponsoring children through Compassion International for over 15 years. Compassion's working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one child sponsorships, working through the local church. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $43 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship. Listeners of the Happy Hour have partnered with Compassion throughout the past years, accounting for more than 500 sponsorships. We hope to add to this number through our Summer Encounter Series with the goal of 200 new child sponsorships. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text Ivy Media. that's I-V-E-Y, media, to 833-93. Or go to Compassion.com slash Ivy Media. The link is always in the show notes for you. You can easily find it there. It's Compassion.com slash Ivy Media. Together, you and I can partner with the global church to give transformational hope to families around the world. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Welcome back to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie. I'm so glad to be with you and to be back. It is a joy to have you back. For those of you that did not hear your episode, it came out in February. It's episode 564, if you guys want to go back and listen to it. And I remember, I don't remember, Alicia, if you said it when we were recording or if you said it in one of the times that we were together, but you said like, 
I grew up atheist. And I was like, wait, what? I need to know more about this. And so I said, okay, you have to come back in the summer and share your story. So before we jump into your story of how you went from atheist to lover of Jesus and follower of him and giving him all of your life, just introduce yourself to our listeners in case this is their first time to meet you. Yes. Well, my name is Alicia Britt-Sholey, and I live with my amazing husband. We've been uh, married for 32 years and uh, three extraordinary children through the miracle of adoption. We live out in the country of the Ozarks of Missouri. You live in the country of Missouri, and I've I've seen you talk about your place, and I just want you to know that one day I'm going to be drinking coffee with you on your front porch. I'm just calling it now. That's (laughs) right. You got it. You got it. Okay, Alicia, I want to hear your story. Now, this is fun for me, this conversation, because I don't know this story of yours. And so (laughs) I'm literally like a friend sitting across from you at a coffee shop (laughs) asking you, tell me all about Alicia and how she came to follow Jesus. Now, I should say this, Alicia, this is a side note. And I don't think I said this last time you were on. We had this random moment when we were together, one of the times we were together in the last year, when you were telling me. You lived in Austin for a couple of years. Uh, yes. You're like, I lived in Southwest Austin. I was like, I live in Southwest Austin. You start telling me where you lived. And lo and behold, you lived in my neighborhood. Isn't that so crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. It's a beautiful area. A lot less traffic than well, my I- town for sure. A lot less traffic, but it's funny because I was telling someone about you and I was like, and she lived in my neighborhood at one time. It's so fun. <laughs> so I want you to take us wherever you want to start this conversation back to your childhood or wherever this begins. Yes. Tell me about your life um, before following Jesus. Yes. Well, I had two, and I say had because they both passed away, but two very, very devoted parents. My, my mom and dad, I grew up loved Jamie. My parents Mm. really gave me everything they could. Uh, The two things that they weren't able to give me were a living faith. Uh, They had, my mom had some traditions that had been passed on to her and she was very faithful to those. But for her, a living faith came much later in life, um, perhaps Mm. maybe 10 or 15 years ago. My dad was a closet atheist. He had uh, chosen atheism early on, had actually been a part of the Methodist revival as a child. And then some pastor did something that we still don't know the details of to this day. And he walked away and never looked back. But he had made a commitment to honor my mom's tradition uh, and go with her wherever she chose to go and never speak a word about atheism. And so I never knew that my dad was an atheist until after Jesus interrupted my life. So my parents weren't that able to crazy. give me a living faith. Isn't that something? And though they mm-hmm. could give me a strong code, the code of do no harm, do no harm is different than a moral compass. And so mm. as I grew up, the constants in my life were the love of my family, of the mantra of do others no harm, and another incredible gift that my dad gave me that later on opened up huge doors for intimacy with God. My dad gave me the gift of having the freedom to ask any question on my mind. He would sit down with me every night, Jamie, and he would say, what's the daughter thinking? Now, they only had one child, but I was still the daughter. (laughs) You know, what's the daughter thinking? And It didn't matter whether I was two or I was 20. I would talk everything I was thinking about, you know, the dream Mm. I had and the news um, that I saw and the question that I was pondering and this angst I had over social injustice and Whatever it happened to be, nothing shamed dad, shocked dad, shut dad down. 
And mm-hmm. so really I, looking back, the first thing that I truly knew was sacred was questioning. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to offer that now because that's going to play into something later. Being someone who always asked questions, my parents teased me, Jamie, that the first word out of my mouth was why. No ma uh-huh. or dad. They say it was just why. Always a questioner. They would find me at night um, up past bedtime. I would be sneaking time reading. And what I was reading was the dictionary or the National Geographic. I just always loved research, thinking, analyzing, questioning. But early on, my questions regarding faith and tradition uh, were unanswered. And honestly, I think many of them were unanswerable. Mm -hmm. And so young, mom said I was 10, dad said I was nine years old. I walked into the room and I said, I think that faith is kind of like a poorly written play. And I don't think I should have to show up as an unpaid actor week after week. I don't think there's a God to believe in. Now, mom was devastated. Yeah. Uh, because her tradition, that put me in a, in a bad place, even without uh-huh. the living faith, the tradition alone yes. <laughs> assigned me to darkness. Um, but dad was like, well, she kind of leans academic. She leans a little intellectual. I, I assume she'd get there. I just didn't expect her to get there this soon. So originally, my choice to become an atheist was benign emotionally. Mm. I wasn't trying to stand up, stand out. I wasn't trying to start an argument. I wasn't reacting to some church hurt or something some Christian had done. It was just the most logical conclusion, given what could be known and what could never be known. Now, later in life, as I walked through my teen years, I started gathering more pain on the edges of my life. And consequently, pain started seasoning my worldview. And that's when my atheism uh, took on a little bit more anger. I'm going to say a lot more anger. Mm. I I was angry that people of faith, Christians, Hindus, it really didn't matter to me. People who said there was something out there or some things out there in the plural that held power. And when I looked around the planet, it sure seemed as though this something or these some things weren't using their power to prevent pain. Mm. That people would offer that kind of belief as some kind of supposed peacemaker, or mm. that was supposed to that was yeah. supposed to bring me comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that there was something out there that held power but wasn't using it to stop. Pain. Mm. Oh, oh, I was mad. And yeah. so, with the seasoning of pain in my life, by the time I was heading toward high school graduation, I became an argumentative. Atheist. I was mm. willing to pick a fight with absolutely anybody. Now, among the strengths that God had sown into my life, because He gives us gifts, not just when we know Him, He gives us gifts at birth. And so these thoughts of thinking, of analyzing, of questioning, of debating were rather strong. Mm. And mm. sadly, it does not just require the utterance of truth to win a debate this side of heaven. <sighs> Debates are won by skill not by truth. Uh, right. Alicia, I want to ask you a question here. You know, yeah. I find it interesting that your father was an atheist, but he was willing, what a great man, first of all, willing to say like, I'm going to yeah. follow your tradition, wife, and I, right. I'm going to love you in this way. Um, and you kind of, you know, just found your own way. Yes. And it was suffering that made you 
angry about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if when you were having these questions and and your dad, you know, what are you thinking about daughter? Did you bring that suffering to him? And what was his answer to you as a practicing atheist? Yeah. You know, my dad was brilliant, Jamie. He would just ask me more questions. Why do you Mm -hmm. think that is? Do you Mm -hmm. think others feel that way? So he went very Socratic on me as Mm -hmm. far as his parenting. I, When I look back over all of the questions dad and I processed, I sincerely don't remember any answer. What I do remember is the safety of asking. And it was that safety of asking that transferred over to God when Jesus interrupted my existence right Mm. before I started college. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Okay, so you're in high school. You are now yes. angry. You are an angry oh, atheist. I'm off. And oh yeah. And so and so um you're you're going through life. And you know, I I have this question I'm wondering as well, is that your mom had you're describing it as not a living faith, which I'm trying to assume that what you mean is she was just like a quote unquote good person, uh, but not following Jesus. Is that how you would say that? Yeah, I would say that when we have a tradition. Um, Mm. but not necessarily a living faith. We have Mm. a a religious code that we honor that was often inherited from our family that we Mm -hmm. respect, but that we don't have a sense that God is with us, near us. And Mm. I'm not talking like a tangible sense. A knowing would be a better word Mm -hmm. that God personally knows me and that I personally know God, that he is Mm. a savior. So she mm. honored tradition, absolutely. But would she have called God her friend, the lover of her soul? Those concepts were not familiar to her until later in life. When you were in high school and you were really wrestling with this, wrestling with why is there evil in the world, what kind of God would allow suffering, all of these things, how was your mom's reaction to that? Your dad, you know, was put it back on you and asked questions and made you feel super safe, which is really encouraging and convicting at the same time for me as a as a parent, as a friend, as a coworker, all the things. But how would your mom handle that with you? Yeah. You know, dad was a safe place for all of those questions. Mom was always safe but not for those type of questions. Mm, She was never unsafe in any way whatsoever. But those kind of questions were things you didn't ask, you didn't talk about, you didn't discuss. So mom Mm. was less comfortable with angst. And dad was definitely the balance in the family where I could go anywhere with my angst 
And he would just say, wow, those are good thoughts. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. Calm. I love that. <laughs> wow, really good. And then mom, mom would feed us, you know. Um, so yeah. they nurtured my soul in very different ways. Mom was very mm. uh, creative, always trying to find something for me to do, working extra hard to give me the opportunity to explore any, anything, piano, voice, anything I wanted to, golf. Um, and dad was that intellectual place where I could have a home. So you're going through high school and you're feeling angry about things that, quite frankly, I think everyone has to kind of come to terms with in their life, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like, of how do we look around at a world that is suffering with things that happen and how do we find God in that? And, and I think that that journey is what so many people take. What happened next in your life? Yes. Well, for me, it was a fact for me that there was no God. Like I, I had, it was, it was unquestioned. I had thought about it and thought about it, come to the conclusion, come to the conclusion over and over and over and over again. My annoyance was with people who believed that there was one and who felt like they had to tell people, well, just keep it to yourself, <laughs> right. you know, keep your illusions to yourself. Thank you. What mm -hmm. happened is two young women came into my life, Jamie, and mm -hmm. they were deeply in love with Jesus Christ. They had never met an atheist in their lives. They had never had their faith questioned at all. But they were determined to be my friend. And uh, there were two things. And was this in high school, happened. Alicia? This is high school. This is junior and okay. senior year of high school. And um, they, they are determined. Our interactions are brutal to this day. They will say, do you remember when you made me cry? And I, <laughs> I, I just would twist their words and turn them around and ask them questions that nobody had asked them before. And they would, I mean, dissolve into a puddle of tears. And then they would say the smartest thing they possibly could say. They would say, I don't know. I don't have an answer. And mm -hmm. I think that sometimes as people of faith, we underestimate how powerful and honest I don't know is. Mm. When you don't know, say you don't know. It inspires yeah. trust. And trust mm -hmm. is really what begins the thaw. There wasn't some answer that filled in a blank that I just went, oh, okay. Right. It was their presence that I needed. And so this, this, this debating, brutal, you know, verbally sad and exchanges that we would have combined with the fact that I just really liked being near them. Mm. I liked being near them. I liked being with them. Now, their parents weren't thrilled about me being with them. <laughs> but they stuck around. They stuck with you. Yeah, at school, but eventually their parents um, decided I wasn't a great influence and kind of limited, and I would have done the same, limited our yeah. um, interaction. I was not yeah. a great influence yeah. in their lives at all. But their presence was giving me something that they couldn't see and I couldn't discern, but it still was. Something doesn't have to be visible in order to still be viable. And that's yeah. what was happening inside of me. God's presence was beginning a thaw in me. And mm. um, that thaw broke me into a new place uh, shortly wow. after, well, right before I started college. You know, it's so interesting. Um, we've had these series, the Encounter series for the last couple of summers. And at the time of our recording, uh, you're just my third guest I've, I've talked to. And so there'll be, you know, probably eight, nine, 10 total. So I, I've only spoken to three people so far. But what I find true in most of the conversations, Alicia, of people start coming to follow Jesus, they usually look back and remember somebody who loved them or somebody 
who showed up. And you're saying to me, I remember these two girls in high school who they were willing to say, I don't know. And they gave me their presence. And it's just such a beautiful reminder to us who've been following Jesus for so long as to what our presence actually does to those around us. And so it's beautiful. I love it. Love it. Yes. And from their perspective, Jamie, they were epic witness fails. They absolutely were certain (laughs) that they had belonged, that they had they had not in any way gained any traction in my life, that they had somehow Mm. been disobedient or just didn't have what it took. But really, we are giving people the present of our presence. Christ within us is the hope. Mm. And when we are near Mm. people, they're near our Jesus. Mm, that is so good. That is so good. Okay, so your friends who thought they had an epic fail, which we know that they yeah. did not, because here we are sitting here all these years later. Exactly. They're thinking they had an epic fail, but you're you said it was it was thawing something in you. Something was happening yeah. inside of you. What was happening? What was going yeah. on? Yeah. Well, as far as I could tell, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I graduated high school, <laughs> and my interaction with them more certain about my atheism than I had ever been in my entire life. It wasn't. It, it was. It wasn't on the table for discussion. It was. There was no God, period. Let's move on with life, shall we? And so Mm -hmm. weeks before I was about to start my university studies, a friend from sixth grade, Jamie. So we moved every year to a different city. I did not have like these deep, long-lasting childhood, you know, friendships. Her mother calls me and says, Alicia, come spend some time with us this summer. I'm like, sure. So I hop on a plane and I go spend a couple weeks with this dear woman and their family. And she is absolutely in love with Jesus. And I am thinking, good night. These people are everywhere. <laughs> I thought this was kind of an isolated Texas thing, but these people are clearly uh-huh. everywhere. But she was too nice to argue with. She didn't try to go for my head at all. She did not try to engage me in mm. any kind of intellectual anything. She just kept going for my heart, waking up in the morning as she's feeding me a great breakfast. My Jesus knows your name, honey. My Jesus wow. loves you. My Jesus brought you here. And you know, inside, I'm like, I, you know, my parents raised me to be polite. So I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yeah, thank, thank you, ma'am. Uh-huh. And, but inside, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, what woman, whatever. So she kept asking me to go to church. I was like, you have got to be kidding. And then finally, I woke up one day, Jamie, and it dawned on me. She was never going to stop. Like for the rest of my life, she was going to find me somehow and say, honey, tomorrow's Sunday. Would you go to a church somewhere? Honey, just go for me once. So I I went into the kitchen and I said, ma'am, I will go to church with you this Sunday on this condition. You never ask me to go again, ever. Wow. And she said, deal. So I walked with her and Jamie, it's the last church you would have thought of. It was this tiny, itty bitty little church, broken down in every way, physically, all the things inside, the organs out of tune. The church is actually breaking apart. I didn't realize this too much later, but it was on like its last Sunday or its second to the last Sunday before wow. they were going to close down. They'd had a horrible split. The only people that were left was the older remnant, I guess the saints that had started the church. We walk in, maybe yeah. there's 24 people. I sit in the back row, wore my finest purple mini skirt for the occasion. And I am thinking, <laughs> all I have to do is survive two hours and I am free. Yeah. Don't be rude. Yeah. Don't roll your eyes. Just survive two hours. I expected nothing. Wasn't in the pit of despair. Wasn't drunk. Wasn't high. Wasn't looking for a God. There wasn't a God to find. I was trying to get rid of a Christian and this was the shortest route. <laughs> and they began to sing. They all stood up on cue, which was kind of creepy. And they started to sing. And Jamie, that was it. I, for the next hour and a half or two hours, 
the atheist on the back row had a supernatural encounter with the God who pursues even those who deny him. It was like waters opened up above my head. And there were these rivers that came washing over me. I could feel them head to toe. These crystal clear waters began washing through me. I, I, it felt like it felt like chains were being broken off of me. I didn't even know there were chains. Uh, everybody in the whole place, well, all 24 of them, knew, knew something was happening to the atheist on the back row. I don't remember when they stopped singing. I have no clue when the pastor started preaching. I was under this waterfall for the next hour and a half to two hours. And in the middle of it, I thought, oh, shoot. But I didn't say shoot. And I said, <laughs> I was wrong. There, there is a God. And I knew his name. Now, I had studied every single world religion to the best of my ability because I thought it's only reasonable to give everybody equal time in debate. I don't want to pick on Christians just because they're more plentiful in Texas, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And so on an intellectual level, Jamie, I would have been open to any name or any prophet. Hmm. But there was one name that sounded, and it sounded from deep within my core. It was the name of Jesus. And I knew that this Jesus was God and that he wanted me. <laughs> and so mm. I, I thought, oh, this changes everything. This will change. This has to change everything. It'll, it changes what I want to do. It, ch it changes everything. But I had never knowingly lied to myself before. And I wasn't going to start that day. And so I whispered, all right, Jesus, I don't even know what the question is. But if you want me, I'm yours. And I was carried. I am. I was carried into faith. Didn't raise a hand, didn't sign a commitment card, didn't go forward, didn't pray with somebody. But I was new. Mm. I was new. And I walked out of that little church. And as soon as I got back, um, the very first people I called were these two young girls. And their response is hilarious if we have time to share it. But I, I was I was brand new. Tell me their response. I would love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, I called Shawnee after I called my parents who said, that's interesting. And then they called, they hung up and they called their psychologist because they thought I'd had a, a psychotic <laughs> break, um, gotten involved in some creepy cult somewhere. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, but then I called Shawnee. I said, Shawnee, you'll never guess what happened. And she said, what, what? I said, I met him. And she went, uh, what's this one's name? <laughs> I, I said, no, 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 Jesus. I met you, Jesus. Silence. So I rattled on Jamie. I told her everything that had happened. I walked in. These people stood and there was this, this water and they washed over me and I knew his name was Jesus. And I just go on and on. And we get to the end and I said, well, and she said, I don't appreciate your new attempt to mock my faith. And she hung up on me <gasps> because she had been so, I, I mean, I was brutal, Jamie. I was yeah, brutal. Yeah. And so Shawnee and Christy so didn't She thought you're calling and you're mocking mock what a, a, mock a transformation. Yeah. That's right. So when I got home, they, they believed me once they saw me because my actual countenance changed. Wow. And uh, uh, Shawnee was in my wedding. We stay in touch to this day. That's amazing. You know, Alicia, I, I, I love hearing that story. And it's such a reminder that nobody is too far gone. For God, like no. nobody yeah. can have the intellectual wisdom, the emotional, the spiritual to be too far gone from God. And I also love your story. You know, this is my first time to hear it. I also love your story of going to this like 
broke down on its literal <laughs> last leg church, yes. probably yes. with some terrible singers and who knows what was oh, happening, an oh, out of tune organ. Oh, yeah. And God's like, I don't need a production. I just need <laughs> you to right. come into my presence. Yes. And it's so, yeah. so beautiful. And so, okay, so you have this experience and now I'm always oh. curious, you know yeah. all about quote unquote religion. You you had before said there's no God, but now you have this experience with Jesus. Oh. How does yeah. one start to fall in love with Jesus after they were so adamant oh. against him? Yeah, yes. Well, it was interesting. I had this incredible thirst, like this insatiable thirst. And I turned to the dear woman who had brought me to this you know, broken down church and I said, I need a Bible. I need a Bible. Well, back then the stores weren't open on Sunday. And so on Monday, first thing, first, as soon as the mall opened, we went in and I bought myself an NIV Bible. And she wisely told me to start in the New Testament and I just began devouring it. So here we have all of these things that God doesn't waste, right? I mean, I'm the girl who stood up late at night reading the dictionary. I love words. I love research. I love studying. Now, all of a sudden I open this book, Jamie, it's not a book, it's a voice. What? God left me a letter. You've got to be kidding. And so I'm just devouring the Bible, uh, not to figure out what I'm supposed to do, but because I need to get to know this voice that called my name. And just began to read and read and read. A couple weeks later, I start university. And again, by God's wonderful grace, he put in my life two mentors, both of whom loved the scriptures. And so one would invite me to her table, you know, every day after youth meeting, you know, in Texas, we don't drop G's, we conserve them, don't we, Jamie? So they're they're meeting. And um, I would ask her all sorts of questions over cookies and milk, and she would take me to the Word and take me to the Word and pray over me in tears. My other mentor is truly a Bible scholar. She met with me for four and a half years and just Mm -hmm. taught me to study the Word of God, word studies, book studies, character studies, passage studies, exhaustive studies. And so it was the Word of God that painted a portrait of Jesus for me. And I found him fascinating. I found him endless. I found him creative, challenging. Uh, he, He satisfies the deepest need in my soul and still does today. You know, it's interesting. It's not interesting. Like God's word says, like that's how you'll know him is through his word and and it's Mm -hmm. active and it's alive and it it pierces into the deepest of our parts of our soul. And I always say on these encounter series, well, I say at any time of any of my shows on the happy hour, but especially in the summer, I always want to tell people that if they don't have a Bible, we want to send them one. And so Mm -hmm. if anyone is listening and they're like, I don't have a Bible, do you don't have to wait till Monday. I'll send you one. And I tell them, just email me and I'll send you a Bible. And we had someone send us an email recently that they had asked for a Bible two years ago. And she said she's been reading it every day. And now her daughter wants one. And can I send her daughter one? And I just want to everyone who's listening to know that like, we want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, Mm -hmm. the happy hour wants to send you a Bible. Um, Alicia, I find it not ironic, but I find it very, very interesting after learning your story, especially what you went through in high school that we talked about this a little bit when you were on the show last time, but mm-hmm. your book that comes out next week is called The Night is Normal. And yes. the the subtitle is A Guide Through Spiritual Pain. And mm-hmm. um, when I was listening to you tell your story and all of the struggles that you had in high school of really trying to come to terms with this. And then I know you told me last time that this book is like 
years in the making. And so I want to hear about the book, but I also want to hear, does any of that high school struggle come into play when you were writing this book? I think that probably uh, one of the greater themes, even beyond high school, has been my comfort with questioning. That absolutely Mm. helped shape this book. Part of the reason I, mm. I was asking all of those difficult questions in high school is because I was comfortable with asking. Asking questions was how my dad and I grew our relationship with each other. Uh, I assumed that asking questions was how I would grow relationship with other people as well. So I think that comfort in asking. I think having been an atheist and sincerely believed that there was no God and tried to process the indescribable pain on earth through the lens of no God also has influenced me. When people come and they ask mm-hmm. their questions, often very accusationally against God or against faith, that doesn't make me nervous at all. God doesn't get nervous with our questions. And so I think having been somebody who asked and who accused, interacting with people's questions and accusations doesn't make me nervous at all. God's not nervous. I can't figure out. I, I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that what the treasure is, is honesty. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the doorway to nearness with God, wherever you happen to be. You know, you talk a lot about asking questions. And I think sometimes, for some reason, I don't know, maybe you can explain some reason, questions can sometimes make Christians uncomfortable. Like, yeah. if, if we don't know the answers, then how are we going to defend God? How are we going to let people know? And you said earlier that one of the best things your those high school girls did to you was say, I don't know. And so I'd love to hear you encourage us as followers of Jesus to be okay with not knowing and be okay with questions. And it doesn't mean that God is still not good and in charge of all things. But as someone who has been asking questions their entire life, encourage us to be able to sit with those questions and know that God's okay with that. Yes. Well, can I approach it logically first? So we are finite beings and we have faith in an infinite God. So I'll repeat that. We are finite beings. Mm -hmm. We have faith in an infinite God. Mystery is part of faith, that gap between the finite and the infinite. Mystery is part of faith. In fact, I don't remember his name, Jamie, but there was a brilliant someone who said that a religion without mystery is a religion without God. So mystery is not code for I'm making excuses for God. Mystery is the reality that there are things beyond us. Mm -hmm. There are things that will always be beyond us. So I I, I liken it sometimes, and I do this in the book, to a child discovering their mom. When we first hold a baby, what does the baby really know about mom? It knows that mom is food. You know, mom is milk, maybe mom is comfort. As they get older, maybe mom is protection. And there are these layers and layers of the child's growing to understand the complexity of mom. But even when mom passes, her complexity will still not be fully grasped. Even as the child grows into adulthood and starts experiencing other seasons and realizes more, appreciates more about their mom, even at the end of their days, their mom will be a complexity. So how much more so God? Mm. How much more so God? So we begin as a baby and we think, God, he saved me. God knows my name. 
and we grow and we start realizing God's not a vending machine. <laughs> you know, God's not a genie in a bottle. We grow and we realize God loves me, but I don't understand why he's allowed this. And at the fullness of our days, we are still going to just understand a tiny percentage of all God is in his complexity. That's not failure. That's evidence of growth. Mm. That's healthy maturity. So why, oh, why should we be afraid to say, I don't know along the way. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I can tell you what I know now, but I'm excited that I'm going to know more in the future. I love that. I can tell you what I know now, and I'm excited to tell you what I'll know more in the future. And you know what I think too, Alicia, is that people are attracted to that. I'm still growing and learning in this as well Mm -hmm. versus that I have all the answers. Don't you want to come listen to me? Because I think that in our, you know, in our minds, that would not make sense either, no matter what. Uh, Mm -hmm. Alicia, I am so excited now that I know more of your story. It makes me love you even more. And I'm super (laughs) excited about this book that comes out next week, you guys. Um, I love it so, so much. And so I'm excited for this to come out. Alicia, I would love to hear, what are you reading these days? Yes, I'm reading five or six things, but the one that was close enough for me to grab is a little, little book called Creative Prayer by E. Herman. Uh-huh. And it, it is just, it's just beautiful. I didn't even, um, I, I'm just opening a page. So to put it bluntly, the first step toward attaining interior quiet is to hold one's peace more frequently and to better purpose in the ordinary ways of life. I, this There's just all of these beautiful thoughts about nearness with God that's not dependent on the latest worship song or an exciting event, uh, just that slow, steady process of nearness with God. So this is the one I happen to have on my desk today. Mm, I love it so much. Well, Alicia, it is always a joy to talk to you. Thank you for reminding us um, that God can handle our questions uh, and that God is in the business of redeeming people's lives in the way that he seems fit. And I'm grateful for the people he put around your life um, when you started following him, that they could actually lead you and guide you and teach you uh, into where you are today. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jamie. Always a joy to be with you. I love your heart and thank you for this opportunity. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. 